You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. There's this story of this couple that appeared in divorce court and the judge said to the woman, Madam, how long were you acquainted with your husband before you were married? And the woman said, I met my husband 18 months before I was married. That's the way she replied. But never knew him until the first time that I asked him for money. Yes, gang, financial difficulties will arise in the home. Marriage is a wonderful gift of God. It's easy to see when you're young and head over heels in love, but over time, as the passion wears off, you start to realize just how hard it can be to be a good spouse. As Pastor Mike will point out in today's message, one of the most trying areas is finances. Whether you're living paycheck to paycheck or building up a nice nest egg, There will be disagreements about how you manage it, and it requires patience and grace to approach these issues in a healthy way. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 as he begins his message, Being a Good Husband. Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women, that is the holy women of the Old Testament, who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, that is, being respectful towards their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, so Sarah is offered up as an example of this, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now, husbands likewise dwell, and that word dwell can literally be translated intimately, cohabitate with your wives. We'll talk some more about that in just a moment. So husbands likewise dwell with them, your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker uh, vessel that is physically weaker, not in intellect or any other uh, way, Uh, but rather this is a reference to our physical uh, being, the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, so in the first part of this text, Peter continues to emphasize, as he did last week, the importance of inner holiness for Christian wives in contrast to outward beauty. And listen, I'm not suggesting that there's something wrong with outward uh, beauty uh, in a woman. 
that is making yourself attractive uh, for your husband, uh, using makeup, doing your hair, wearing nice clothes. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But just here in our text, Peter encourages us and uh, lets us know that as far as beauty is concerned, God is more concerned with the inner beauty, the chaste virtue of a wife, that is the purity of a uh, wife. Now, Peter also reiterates the need of wives to be in subjection to their husbands. So remember last time together we talked about what that looks like, what that word subjection or submission actually means. It really, in context, just means that we uh, wives honor their husbands, respect their uh, husbands. But let me also add that that respect is something that's earned by the husbands. And then he goes on. And notice here, as an example of this, he reminds us of Sarah. Let's go back to our text. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And of course, having a good husband, like Abraham, who obeyed God, made it pleasurable, made it easy for Sarah to submit to him. So if the husband is to make a success of his important role as a leader in his home, he must completely yield himself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, this is the key to happiness in the home. Husbands as well as wives must know Jesus by experience as their Lord and Savior. Success in marriage is more than just finding the right person. It's becoming the right person, the right husband, the right wife. And that's exactly where Jesus comes into this process. He is a part of that equation. He is the one who enables us to be that kind of a husband, be that kind of a wife. But as it relates to husband now, notice Peter is addressing husbands in this uh, part of his epistle. God has ordained that the husband is to be the spiritual leader in the home. But think about this. How many men shirk this responsibility of being the leader? Uh, taking the lead spiritually within the home. You know, how many men actually neglect their teaching, their children, their kids about spiritual things, about God, just sitting down uh, with them and pouring into their lives, encouraging them in their own personal walks and relationship with the Lord. Now, this is something that's very important to God. And this is a God-given responsibility to each husband to each father. Think about this. When Moses was reviewing the commandments, the statutes, the judgments of God before the nation of Israel, in the book of Deuteronomy, in just a moment, but if you like, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, in verses 6 and 7, there we are told, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your uh, children. All of the commandments, all of the statutes, all of the judgments. So you shall teach them diligently, notice, to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So this is a God-given obligation and responsibility to every parent. So walking with God is not only a woman's obligation, you know, to pour themselves into their uh, children. If a man wants to the best in life, there is nothing that should demand greater precedence 
than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As an example of this, I want to share a story with you. J.P. Morgan, uh, the American financier, when making out his will, the year before he died, it consisted of about 10,000 words and contained 37 articles. There is no question as to what Mr. Morgan considered the most important clause in the will, as well as the matter of chief importance in his whole life. He had made many important business deals, some involving such vast sums of money as to disturb the financial equilibrium of the entire world. Yet there was one transaction that evidently stood out in Mr. Morgan's mind above all others. And this he revealed in the first article of his will that stated, I commit my soul into the hands of my Savior in full confidence that having redeemed it and washed it in his most precious blood, he will present it faultless before the throne of my Heavenly Father. And I entreat my children, notice, I entreat my children, I exhort my children to maintain and defend at all hazard and at any cost of personal sacrifice the blessed doctrine of the complete atonement for sin through the blood of Jesus Christ once offered and through that alone. Oh, that men everywhere might make such a declaration acknowledging Christ as their personal Lord and Savior of their lives. Listen, gang, we need to get back to that home where God is honored and respected by his people. Those people who daily kneel before his divine presence, seeking him for guidance and blessing. And listen, not doing this has contributed to that state of disarray of our country and the breakdown of our families. You've heard the saying, and it's so true, as the family goes, so does our nation. Listen, gang, the only hope is Christ in our homes. When Jesus becomes the home's welcome guest, that home will be blessed. Now, let's go back to our text. Notice Peter continues to give instructions to the husbands. And there in verse 7, husbands likewise dwell, intimately cohabitate with them, the wives, with understanding. And it's all according to what translation you're reading out of. If you're reading out of the King James, it says knowledge. Uh, you know, the instruction there, husbands likewise dwell uh, with your wives in knowledge or understanding. Either one of those words would be accurate and can be translated intelligent consideration. And so that's the way that we are to relate to our wives as husbands, with intelligent consideration. And listen, if we would do that, strife, Unkind words, bitterness, could all be avoided if there were more intelligent consideration of our spouse's problems. You know, let me ask you a question. How difficult is it to understand others, especially those of the opposite sex? i got to tell you something. I've been married to my wife now for going on like 48 years, and I'm still discovering new things about her. But as two people live together... Mutual understanding should uh, deepen. You should experience more happiness within the marriage relationship as time goes by. You should be more happier going on in the relationship 
you know, 48 years than in the first year of the marriage. It's through Jesus we can overlook the bad and appreciate the good in each other. The usual selfish instincts of human nature should be replaced by thoughtfulness and consideration. And yes, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be disagreement. Issues that will disrupt the home, like, for example, the time that we spend, how much time should we spend doing this, that, or the other thing, how much time should we spend with another uh, member of our family in communication, in you know, social uh, kinds of activities. Uh, kids, how about kids? That can also be uh, a disruption within the homes. Uh, the disagreement on the way that we should react to our children, the way that we should raise our children. And then one of the biggest obstacles, uh, disruptions within the home, which is a really big problem, money. And the way that we spend our money. You know, there's this story of this couple that appeared in divorce court. And the judge said to the woman, Madam, how long were you acquainted with your husband before you were married? And the woman said, I met my husband 18 months before I was married. That's the way she replied. But never knew him until the first time that I asked him for money. Yes, gang, financial difficulties will arise in the home. But we need to face them with intelligent consideration in the way that we are exhorted here in our text, committing their burden to the Lord. Listen, no problem has ever been solved by bitterness of heart and unkind uh, words. We need to just simply address the problem, trust God for the remedy and the answer and the solution to those problems. What well, we are exhorted and encouraged in the book of Philippians in chapter 4 and verse 19, that God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ uh, Jesus. And that also refers to our financial uh, needs. But notice then, Peter goes on, let's go back to our text, there in verse 7, and he exhorts the husbands that they should give honor unto their wives. Now listen, giving honor, a godly husband knows how to make his wife feel honored. Though she submits to him, he takes care that she does not feel like she is his employee or is under the reign of some kind of a tyrant. So giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker uh, vessel. And once again, as I already mentioned, this is a reference to the wife being physically weaker than the husband. And thus, we shouldn't expect more from her than is appropriate you know, considering that she is physically uh, weaker. In other words, we ought to re relate to them in kindness, with thoughtfulness, with courtesy, with chivalry, showing respect to the wife. God has given him for that help me. Let me give you a couple of cross-references. For example, in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 5, in verse 25, there we are exhorted, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, and gave himself for it. Always put your wife first, her considerations first. The book of Colossians, here's another cross-reference for you. Chapter 3, in verse 19, Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. 
And so gang, with mutual love and respect and consideration, there will be a solution for any problem which may arise. Any issue that you have to face in your life's experience, in your marriage relationship. So, don't let the devil or your flesh wreck your home by needless argument and discord. Practice love. Practice God's love. God is concerned that our homes be marked with harmony. In the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 9, in verse 9, there we are exhorted, live joyfully with the wife whom you love. Good advice. And so should there be an argument? There will be. You can be sure of that. Settle it immediately, lovingly, prayerfully. Remember the exhortation in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, don't hold grudges. Be of a forgiving spirit and a loving heart. And notice then Peter's final exhortation here in this text. He goes on, and this is actually an incentive for being the right kind of a husband, for treating your wife the way that God wants you uh, to treat uh, her. Notice he says that our prayers be not hindered. So this is the motivation for being a good husband. Uh, because we know as husbands that prayer is an invaluable asset. I mean, how many of my prayers, how many of your prayers, if you're a husband, are spent petitioning God for the needs of your uh, family? So therefore, we don't want our prayers to be ineffective. And uh, how would, might they be ineffective? By not being the right kind of a husband. By not treating your wife the way that God wants you to treat your wife. Listen, domestic strife wipes out the effectiveness of our prayers. Prayers that brought peace and comfort are now become cold and ineffectual. And that's why when petitioning the Lord in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5, Jesus himself told us that if we are to worship God, if we are to place our offering upon the altar, go and leave the gift at the altar and make reconciliation. In other words, don't allow anything to disrupt your fellowship with God. Anger, bitterness, resentment. Gang, our Christianity in the home needs guarding and careful examination. If in the home we cannot love joyfully and unselfishly, we are not right with God. You know, Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, said, and I quote, a light which does not shine beautifully around the family table is not fit to rush a long way off to do a great service elsewhere. And so, gang, listen, is Christ in your heart? Well, let him be in your homes as well. Verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind or agreeable, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now, Peter impresses upon us how the Christian should manifest kindness in their life. And in doing so, here in this text, he sets forth five characteristics essential for the development of Christian kindness. Let me see if you can find them. They're all listed for us in that one verse of Scripture, 
verse 8. Notice what he says. Finally, all of you be of one mind or agreeable. So that's the first characteristic, agreeable. Uh, having compassion, that would be the second characteristic, compassion for one another. Love, being uh, a loving individual, love as brothers. Uh, be tender-hearted, that would have been the fourth characteristic. And then lastly, be uh, courteous. So, if Jesus, this is the conclusion, if Jesus is to be manifested through us, we need to be agreeable, loving, sympathetic, courteous, tender-hearted, or thoughtful. So those are the five uh, characteristics that are essential for the development of Christian uh, kindness. Okay, so with that said, let me break down these for you. The first of which is agreeable. Let's go back to our text. Notice there he says, finally, and the word finally carries along with the idea that Peter is summing up, he's drawing a conclusion. Finally, he says, be of one mind with others, and again, as it relates to our previous studies, be of one mind with those who are in government, uh, those who uh, we work with at our places of employment, also be of one mind with those in our homes, our spouses, our, our children, but also be of one mind with those within uh, the church. Now, let me tell you what this doesn't mean. This doesn't necessarily mean that we need to be of the same opinion. You see, we can have different viewpoints. We can have different ideas about how to get certain jobs uh, done, how to go about it. As it relates to uh, Christian uh, doctrine, we still can be of uh, one uh, mind as it relates to those doctrines that are non-essential Christian doctrines, like, for example, uh, is it okay to uh, have contemporary Christian music during our worship service? Some people subscribe to that, some people don't, but it shouldn't separate us from any uh, other Christian who uh, thinks otherwise than the way that we think as it relates to the way uh, to worship in uh, music or the style of worship. So the idea here is there should be underneath our differences a common bond of devotion to Christ and to each other, which precludes division and strife. There needs to be an absence of those things. You know, F.B. Meyer, commenting on this subject, said, and I quote, This oneness of mind does not demand the monotony of similarity, but unity in variety. So, if God's people should disagree on some subject, let us disagree agreeably. Remember what the psalmist tells us in the 133rd Psalm in verse 1. He says, Behold, or check it out, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. So we need to preserve unity at all costs. Let us strive for unity among believers. Let us be peacemakers instead of troublemakers. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of In My Father's House as we study the book of 1 Peter together with Pastor Mike. It's no secret that faith can be just plain hard, especially in a world that tries to pull you in so many different directions. The Apostle Peter understood this, and so he wrote to remind believers 
to remain steadfast in their faith. God is faithful to meet you right where you're at, so lean into Him and trust in who He is. If you'd like to hear today's message again, just visit HarvestNYC.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app by searching for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us at Harvest Christian Fellowship. Find directions, service times, and more information on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. And if you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We love seeing how God is using His Word in incredibly powerful ways. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. We're so glad you were able to spend this past half hour with us. Join us again for more from this verse-by-verse study in the book of 1 Peter next time, right here on In My Father's House.